See this button? That's what you press when you want to record. And this button's where you press when you want to listen to what you recorded. But don't press that button, because I already got some stuff on it. Did you hear that? He's just dying for us to listen to what he recorded. Should we listen? Sure, that's what he wants. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the IWMP podcast for your regular dose of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. My name is Matthew Porter. I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And again, I've made him watch television. And not only that, even though I know it is his kryptonite, I have made him watch a sitcom. Yeah, that was... This is an interesting one in terms of the nature of sitcom, because this feels... It's not the first, but there's something about it that is very touchstone, very core to the concept of what it has become, in some senses. I, uh, this one feels heavy in that sense, when looked at in that light, and I'm, I'm not sure. I've got, some, I've got some opinions on that fact. It is burdened with great cultural relevance. And, and great cast size. And changing hairstyles. Yeah. <laughs> So we are talking, this is a show that I knew we'd get around to eventually, that we are talking about The Brady Bunch. Da, da, da. Where we didn't do a whole musical <laughs> number to introduce this podcast. You're welcome, internet. You're welcome. Uh, this, it's kind of short. It's just, yeah, it, there's this guy, his son, and he watched TV. That's it. I mean, that's kind of what we get, but I mean, that's our opening. We, we already do yeah, that. Pretty much. So, but yeah, the, I mean, talk about something that has a a cultural shadow. Uh, the Brady Bunch looms large. It is a it is a piece of media that is even right now getting full TV specials on like HGTV, and it's one of those things that has always existed to some extent. Like to me, it is this thing that is just there alongside the existence of TV, at least as I've known it, has been the Brady Bunch as this thing that was on this that people reference and people know. And I never watched it before this, but it was there. Oh, that's interesting. I was wondering about that because I didn't know to what extent this was something you were aware of. I figured you'd probably heard of it, but I didn't know to what extent it was part of your knowledge of the history of media. There's so much of modern media consumption on the internet, which is about the the remix culture of it all, the meme culture, the the take a thing and break it down, reconstruct other things out of it, it out of other things, and kind of boil it down to an essence before it leaves the zeitgeist. But Brady Bunch is always there yet seemed like everyone had already burned through it. It will occasionally flare up again with, you know, a here's the Avengers cast doing a parody of the opening on a TV show, or here's them renovating the house or something. But it's not a, it's a thing that is just already existing and already churned through that other things remix themselves into instead of ever being a source things reference out of as much if i've gotten too deep let me know i i think i understood all of that it led me somewhere i'm not sure where was you where 
if it if I can't even speak after listening to that. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure I got to where you were leading me, but I got somewhere. But um, I look forward yeah. to the either delighted or angry letters <laughs> from media theory <laughs> students and professors right. somewhere. So, but still, it's it's one of those things. It is existing, and it is always something things can reference back to. But that's because it has has gone through all of its cycle to some extent when it was there because it was such a big thing when it was on. Okay, I that that makes sense to me. I think I can uh, I can understand that part of this. For me, uh, as far as my context, this is one of those earliest shows that I have at least a vague recollection of being aware of and maybe having seen during its original run. Because it started, like, I was maybe three years old. It was, like, you know, the 1970 or so, maybe, or 1969. And, you know, my math is probably wrong there, but... uh, And I remember it being something that my older siblings would watch. I remember it being on TV. I never really paid attention to it or followed a storyline or anything else like that until I was older and saw it on reruns. It was one of these shows that when afternoon TV included lots of of strip syndication reruns, you know, five episodes a week, uh, I definitely saw a fair amount of the Brady Bunch then. So, yeah, it, it definitely was part of the media landscape when I was a kid, and everybody knew it. Everybody had seen a lot of it. Everybody quoted it. It was one of the first shows I remember that people just in regular conversation would jokingly quote this. Okay, yeah. It had such impact there. I can definitely understand that, because that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's this this quote generated, it's this everyone had seen it and everyone knew it to reference back to kind of piece of media. So getting to see it now... I'm amazed at how different it felt from the beginning to the the later seasons and how I could almost see it evolve into what I know it as across those and from what I saw. It did evolve pretty quickly, too, partly because of the way times were changing at the time, partly because of the way the cast was aging at the time. And I guess just to um, to check this box, just in case there's anybody out there listening who does not know what the Brady Bunch is and is still listening to this podcast. Here's, I guess, say a quick summary of the premise, which they helpfully provide in the opening song every single episode, because again, this was pre-video recorders, pre-everything else. They had to assume that a lot of the people coming in for the first time had no idea what the premise was. We won't reproduce the song in entirety for intellectual property reasons and uh, because we wouldn't want to do that to you, our listeners, but the premise is... There is a a woman who's a widow, and she has three young daughters. There's a man who is a widower, has three young sons. The man and the woman have met, and they fall in love, and they get married. And now there's this blended six-child family, these six siblings, step-siblings together uh, as the Brady Bunch, Mike Brady being the uh, the father there, Carol, now Carol Brady, being the mom, and uh, and their housekeeper Alice, who apparently was part of the Brady household before he before Mike met Carol. 
Yeah, Alice is almost kind of the the outlier. She she becomes a catalyst and a useful point and kind of a this is gonna sound weird. She's almost a writer surrogate character at times when someone needs to be able to go in there and kind of jab these characters out of the little resting position they've landed in to keep the plot moving with the momentum. They send Alice in with a quip and a thing, and I appreciated that. I liked her, but everyone else has a defined position. We've got <laughs> oldest, middle, younger in both boy category, girl category. We've got the mom and the dad. And they have interactions with each other. You could make an entire like flowchart of interaction types for this. But there's that outlier that is just Alice is here to make things happen. And I appreciate it. Yeah, sometimes she steps in to make the moral of the story very clear. Sometimes she steps in to adjust the appropriate tone or, or level of importance to whatever the conflict of the week is. Uh, by giving her observations about it. She's often comic relief, but in a kind of self-aware comic relief. It's This is a person in the household with a sense of humor who isn't above making herself the, the butt of her own jokes, as opposed to the clueless person who falls down all the time and, and, and doesn't understand that they are the comic relief, the way you see in some uh, sitcoms. The group therapeutic class clown character, who will make the jokes because they know everyone else needs to be able to chill for a sec. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And that's, that is a, a, a hard type of character to play, from what I've seen, and definitely is played well here. Anne B. Davis is just has a way, a way to make this character feel consistent across all of these different tones she has to hit. And that's very, very skillfully done. Yes. I, I mean, I think she's a very skillful um, actor and uh, really a deft comic uh, performer, mm -hmm. which is so important for that role. So I think she is, is definitely critical to the whole Brady Bunch dynamic. If she weren't there, it would be I mean, she, she gives you the odd number that you sometimes need to resolve things. Yeah, if it, I could easily see the show hitting kind of a, an unfortunate stasis, either on the heavy or the light side, because it would either be this, everyone's a little, everyone's friendly with each other, and the family kind of has a thing happen to them and goes, oh no, or thing happens to the family and they split down the middle on a decision. Or there's the occasional one where the fact that is this hybrid family is a tension point where one group will go, will think one thing and one group will kind of wind up in the way. The, the ghost story one had a very much two-sided dilemma, which was resolved in the end thanks to that. So, mm -hmm. And it's interesting. This is the third, technically the third sitcom we have talked about on the podcast. There was uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, and that was more of a traditional sitcom in some ways. It came after the Brady Bunch did, both of which came after the other sitcom we talked about, which was The Addams Family. And every sitcom we've talked about is different in, in terms of what kind of co high concept it had. And unlike the Mary Tyler Moore show sometimes could be, and unlike, I'd say, even the um, uh, the Adams Family could be, 
this show did not really rely on the, the comedy of embarrassment very much at all. At least not the episodes that we saw. And thinking back to others that I, I might remember from when I saw them decades ago, it really that really wasn't a driving kind of, of story for the Brady Bunch. It's going to sound weird, but I, I felt like it got more sitcom-y the, the later the season was that you showed me. Because we watched stuff through from seasons one through four. Select episodes across those. We did. We uh, we started with episode season one and ended with season four, partly because that was what was on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. But the the first season, this is going to sound so weird. I'm going to sound like a madman at first. There was something remarkably reality TV about the first season. In I mean, reality TV ain't real. It is it is a scripted version. It is a a packaged version of a a slice of some form of humor human human interaction turned into a media piece via a process but there is something about its intent is to draw you into a a situation or an environment and make you feel like a a member within a group you are invested in these people because of the interpersonal personal interactions you're invested in the the dynamic as to whether or not these groups will form or break apart, and there is more of a a standing in the room watching instead of an external observer watching. And that first season was very much, we're going to watch the family sit down and watch a home movie. And we are with them in that sense. There was a little bit more, you're here in the Brady home with the Brady family, and they're happening to deal with some stuff while you're there. But as the seasons got later, it became the group more established as a group on its own and a little bit more polished into that sitcom-y style dealing with an external force and watching the distinct personalities set up ping off the responses they could, not as harshly as some other things will and there's fun to be had when you've got disparate groups that you know will respond in a way because seeing how they'll respond in tandem can be the the source of the humor there but this was a lighter version of that from where it started but it still had the well these ones are going to say that thing and that one's going to say that thing to some extent by the end of that season four Right. And and I think that's all all correct. And part of it is something you see in these kind of high concept sitcoms is the beginning, the first season, especially the first episodes, they're really relying on the high concept to drive their stories. So the earliest episodes in the earliest seasons really were about the unusual fact that these were Two separate families who are now blended, and two parents who had kids from previous marriages who are now married to one another. And later on, it just becomes sitcom stories that you could essentially tell in any setting where there are a mom and a dad and kids of various ages and various uh, genders. But the the end result was driven by the personalities of the characters that we had gotten over the past few seasons. So like that first season episode that we watched, we didn't get to see the pilot because it it wasn't on Amazon. I'm not sure it's available anywhere. 
but it's funny, the pilot for this, which is Mike and Carol's wedding, I remember my siblings being excited about the fact that that was going to be rerun because they hadn't gotten to see it when it was first on. And during the like usual Friday evening run of the the series, at one point they were going to rerun the pilot and they were so excited to watch this. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't watch it with them. But I remember that being a big deal. Anyway, I'm digressing. The first one that we did see was about it was about an advice column. Yeah. And this is a very newspaper centric culture they're in, by the way, in the goodness, early seventies. This is which is not uncommon, you know. Late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not used to the the information delay which allowed these things to happen, but it was very, very effectively worked here. But the kids, the one of the older kids is reading in this Dear Libby advice column in the newspaper a letter from someone seeking advice because the letter writer has three kids and has just married someone with three kids and the new spouse's three kids are driving the letter writer crazy and wants advice as to whether to stick it out and try to make things work or get out now before I go crazy. And the kids, of course, are thinking, oh my goodness, our mom or dad must have written this letter. How many other families could there be in a situation like this? And the hilarity ensues as they try to be the best kids they possibly can uh, in, so that the, the, other, the new parent uh, likes them and, uh, and so on. Some, somewhere in a parallel world, there's this, fir- there's this episode of a show where this, this family that's already on the brink hears this news article about this family very much like them that's doing just perfectly fine, and it's the last straw, and they snap. And it's a very different show, <laughs> but, I mean, they felt like some sort of weird Brady's meet parallel Brady's Twilight Zone episode set up in this first early thing with this newspaper column. <laughs> Especially because they kept hammering in the what's the likelihood of the two of another group doing the same thing <laughs> over and over, and I'm just and it uh, of course in the end it turns out that it was a different family. It was written by somebody in Indianapolis, and I think they're the Bradys live somewhere in California, and uh, and actually the lady who writes the Dear Libby column comes to the house because uh, she's gotten so many letters from this same address. Asking desperately to know who wrote the letter and what can we do about this? Assume because it turns out each one of the kids separately wrote to her with another cute pseudonym, and Alice also wrote. The parents also wrote, but hadn't gotten around to mailing their letters. They all had the same concern, but there was something compared to say the 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 humor of embarrassment you see in so many sitcoms like I Love Lucy, occasionally uh, Mary Tyler Moore. There was something very sweet and wholesome about this story. It had conflict. It had a story that needed to be resolved. But it was all very good-natured. It was very... I mean, some people would consider it saccharine. I just thought, you know, it's kind of nice. It's its kids who are in this new situation, but they love their new family. They love, All of them love both their mom and dad. And the worst thing could be if something were to ruin this. So how can we be the best kids we can be to 
uh, to keep the worst from happening, and how can we find out if it really is our mom and dad that are in this trouble? There was more of that episode spent with each. I, 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 not, they didn't quite pair off to be like get up and like break down into that easier to define groups, but it was sitting with the various different members and seeing how they responded to the same stress. Right. And it wasn't a all in the same room pinball across each other with their their stress things. It was go off and someone's sitting in their room worried about it. It was cut to the next day and these two people are still having a hard time because they've been concerned all night long. There is a a watch as that little niggling doubt creeps into someone who was very certain and it changes how they're approaching something over the course of one interaction. That's more human interaction theater relate to the people play with the pathos than you'd see in a lot of these other shows. And that was a very good introduction in that sense because you you were in that space with them. You weren't there wasn't schadenfreude of I'm glad I'm not them. There was, oh, I feel for them. Right. And, and that's, that's how are they going to resolve this? That's a huge difference. Yeah. And I, that was, that, that's actually why I, I, I didn't have the, the response of cower that I sometimes do to these <laughs> embarrassment shows because the Brady Punch let me ease in, like gently walking into a pool. Mm-hmm. It's not a shock. It's okay. I'm getting used to this. I'm I'm I know where I am. I know who these people are and I can follow them through any other story. And I can still find the later stuff getting a little bit on my nerves and I'm there playing a I can guess the next scene right. game by some of the later ones. But I never felt like I was tightening up. Like I do when I'm seeing someone go through something that, because I'm I want to relate to the characters on the screen at times, and when I relate to the characters, and then I'm supposed to laugh at the characters, I just feel weird. But I never thought that Brady Punch wanted me to do that. I never thought it wanted me to laugh at the Bradys. I always thought it wanted me to maybe get exas- exasperated at them on occasion, but never, never Schadenfreude targeted at the Bradys. You know, that that's a really good point. We talked about the fact that Alice was kind of the, the character with the sense of humor and was comic relief because she could make a joke. That's true for a lot of the humor in the Brady Bunch across all the characters, isn't it? That very rarely, I mean, not, not never by any means, but more often than not, the humor in the Brady Bunch was from a joke being made intentionally by one of the characters. So we were all very often laughing with them, laughing at the jokes that these friends of ours were telling, not, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not in that situation. So the stories did tend to pull you in, like, in that, oh gosh, you know, if I were in that situation, I would, I'd probably feel the same way. I wonder how they're going to resolve this. One of the best lines in the later episodes was, Cindy Brady's response to understanding how a a prank was pulled. That's really smart. What? Dirty but smart. The humor was in the absolute like 
delight at realizing how this was a really cool design it completely <laughs> got us and that there was not an there it wasn't it wasn't oh they were horrible ah wasn't the joke it was the admiration and that's brilliant right it wasn't in that one about the pranks it was not resolved through someone trying to make a prank and got it getting embarrassingly caught in their own prank there was back and forth and a lesson was learned and during the process Funny things happened. You're right. It's, it's something very comfortable and comforting about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we started mentioning the kids now, and I don't think we ever ran through the rosters. It's probably worth doing that just for reference in case we wind up starting to refer to these folks by name. On the girls' side, there's Marsha, who's the oldest. There's Jan, who's the middle. And there's Cindy, who's the youngest. Mm -hmm. And then on the boys' side, there's Greg, who's the oldest. There's Peter, who's the middle. And there's Bobby, who's the youngest. And they fall into fairly predictable kind of positions in the hierarchy and personality. On the boy's side, for example, there's Greg, who's, who is the, the oldest. He has a certain degree of authority over his siblings and the way that they treat him and the way he treats them. But he want, he's, he's always looking out for them. And, he's, and as the series goes on, he's eager to be a grown-up. And he's always looking to be more and more grown-up. And um, Peter, the middle... It, uh, brother, he becomes kind of the joker of the group in the likes to be funny, not the uh, Joaquin Phoenix doing horrible things on, on movies sense. And um, and then there's Bobby, who's kind of the rambunctious youngest boy. And then there's Marsha, who again is the oldest, and she's kind of the authority figure among the girls, certainly, and throughout the, the kids to some extent. And there's Jan, whose defining characteristic often enough is the fact that she's in Marsha's shadow. Yeah. And then there's Cindy, who is, her, her job is to be the cute one, the little girl. Oh, yeah. And definitely, you, since they've got these age tiers, they get to pair each of them against each other when they need an age range to respond to a thing, which means that they become kind of a... Well, we're going to have the, the, the young kids deal with the situation, like the dog is hiding their toys and they blame each other. So it's the two, the two youngest fighting about that, or we need something where it's the, the later interpersonal relationship stuff, so it's going to be the oldest, or once they get too old, the middleest. And they, they were able to kind of pull from each of those there. If the ages were staggered at all, it wouldn't have worked quite as well. But they were kind of tier the set like that in a way that worked. Yeah, you you, know, you can almost see the tournament bracket or the choose your fighter. <laughs> the, the number of D and D alignment charts assigned to the <laughs> assigned to the grid of three by three from the family at the opening of everything online is amazing. How have I not seen this? <laughs> oh, you're that is perfect. <laughs> uh, the the fact that if you look at that, um. Oh, let me pull it up. The, the fact that it does put Cin Cindy as uh, lawful evil and Bobby as chaotic evil <laughs> and Jan as true neutral fits too well. It, it does. It does fit a little bit too well. <laughs> oh, I've got to look at those. Put a link for those in the show notes. So I, 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 find it. I will. <laughs> those interactions are a big part of what drives the storylines, especially uh, early on. And then later on, it's like I say, it's just. The stories are, I think they're, they're still about the same 
quality. It's uneven, of course, throughout a season. But they're less driven by the unique circumstances of this high concept, and they're more just stories played out with these personalities, which I like. The more we get to know the characters, the less we care about this, how this family came together, and it's just, this is the family we're watching. This is going to sound really weird. One of the things that actually I think helps the show is that I feel like they've got a family budget instead of a show budget, because him being an architect and the scale of the things they're going to go do doesn't feel limitless. It it feels like it's actually thought like what the family would do in that sense. This is a set of writers considering the environment they're in in that sense. Right. I mean, they fudge that a little bit as Hollywood or, or Burbank will at any time. But yeah, there's there's concern about, you know, who's going to pay the, the $250 uh, damages for this car accident. And there's the kids are concerned about their allowance, and when, when there's discipline to be done, it's always a kid, you know, somebody's being grounded, so they're not allowed to use their bicycle for two weeks, or there's, they lose their allowance for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a sense that among all of them, you know, they are, well, they, they're doing fine, but money's not infinite. They have a nice place to live, but they're not in a castle. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very believable within the TV context in that way. They do have a ridiculously large and slightly odd-shaped yard. They do, yes. That's the that's the that's the most stretched part, the most set-like part, honestly. And they have got a very peculiar TARDIS-like house, which has an interior configuration that is impossible within the exterior configuration that we see in all the establishing shots. Oh yeah, the split level that somehow flattens out. Right, and they've got this giant staircase in it. And that, you know, you mentioned there, I think you mentioned the series about rebuilding the house or uh, recreating the Brady house. Yeah, the fact that that was on and the fact that we wound up discussing it, I think, is one of the things that pulled this up the list of what we were going to be watching sooner, at least from some of the suggestions, if I was understanding. Yeah, you know, it probably did, even if not consciously, the fact that it was kind of in the in the media landscape once again. And that one, in that show, I haven't seen any of it, but I understand that they... They bought the the house whose exterior was used for the all the establishing shots of the Brady home, and then they renovated the interior to match what you see throughout the series of the inside of the house. And they had to do a lot of weird things to make up for the fact that these houses had the interior and exterior in the show had nothing to do with one another, so they wound up creating additions in the back to create rooms that simply wouldn't fit inside this. It's a little bit like that documentary about The Shining, where they're comparing, (laughs) you know, this hallway, you can see that this office couldn't have a window because of what we see in the hallway later on. Did we just compare the Brady Bunch to The Shining? What did we just do, Dad? (laughs) I I, I, I don't know how we can podcast after that. That one? Okay, then. Uh, I think I broke Ian. He's off mic for a little while. But yeah, that that HGTV show is like the Room Room 237 documentary for the Brady Bunch. But what happens if you play the Brady Bunch backwards and forwards at the same time, superimposed? Nobody's tried that yet. (laughs) Oh, and if you like The Shining and haven't seen that documentary, Room 237, yet, uh, absolutely see that. It's, It's pretty cool. 
I'm just wondering if a building where the outside and the inside don't match, but no one seems to be bothered by that, is signs that Mike Brady is a wonderful architect or a horrible architect. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's his pitch. You know, I, I could take a house like this and put this inside it. It's amazing. Yeah. I can bend the laws of time and space. So, um, yeah, you're right. Their yard. You were talking about their yard. Their yard is oddly shaped and seems variably sized and appears to be upholstered in astroturf. Yeah, that it was. It, that is some. That is some non-natural grass for sure. <laughs> the finest Burbank astroturf. That's right. It's also a much more prominent yard. There's more outdoor shots than I expected. There's so many sitcoms, especially nowadays in the the era of the the post Friends. Build your one apartment set and run a lot of your shots in there if you can. Kind of building. There's a lot of interior shots in a lot of sitcom stuff. This had plenty of outdoor stuff. Plenty of stuff going on in the backyard. Plenty of people going around and doing things. It was active in that sense, and that was nice. That's a good point. Partly because of the large cast. Partly because they needed scenes with with smaller subsets of that cast yeah there are a lot of sets in this show there's the the living room slash family room there's uh, mike brady's study there's the kitchen there's the backyard there's the boys room there's the girls room there's the attic we see once in a while all that that seems to change from time to time as to what the attic is like and then like you say there's the, the backyard so for a sitcom especially that's a lot of set design and construction i've not i've not seen a sitcom with this much uh distinct interior since home improvement yeah when you think about the mary tyler moore show there was the the newsroom set which included lou grant's office there was mary's apartment and occasionally a location shot occasionally a restaurant shot Uh, the only other the only other major one i can think of i can think of two i can think of the bar and i can think of the uh um actual recording True, there was the studio. The studio itself. Those are the four places. And a lot of it was A to B, to B to A, to C to A. And they'd kind of go back. But the Brady's, you'd follow, you'd sometimes follow a character from one set to another with a a here, track a little, start at another one, track as they arrive. And on occasion, there was a continuity going on. Because they'd move from a lot of sets because they built more of this place than I'd expect them to. And that probably lends to the reality TV aspect that you were talking about earlier. I think anybody watching this over time would, accurate or not, they would have a sense that you could just toss them into the Brady house and they'd be able to find their way around because they practically lived there. Mm-hmm. But, and it, it had enough space to feel real. It was always inviting in that sense. And it's also the people. We see them being not, not super, I never, I I don't, I, we never at least saw, but I never think that they were like throwing a party at their house. They had a lot going on already with the number of people there, but they were always this friendly group. So if you had a person who was nice showing up at the door, they'd be invited in, they'd chat. It would be a nice time. They were, they were. Very approachable folk in terms of the way they are presented as a family. And so the fact that you've got these 
these personalities that are accepting in that sense. You've got this environment you feel comfortable in because it is more developed than other places that you might have seen on TV. And the events are these relatable, not low stakes, but measured in in their drama sort of events. You can get into this and you could feel like you were part of what's going on, or at very least like you could be part of what's going on instead of just an external observer. observer. Yeah, and you talk about the stakes. I'd say that compared to some TV... Well, maybe maybe this is not true. Maybe this is true across other sitcoms. The conflicts all seem to be relatively low stakes. And yet, in the kind of naturalistic context we're seeing them in, they seem incredibly important. The way they would to a high schooler or a middle schooler, or maybe even the um, the parents. And that's something that I remember, and this rewatching it with you has has reinforced. There was always that sense of a distinction between the 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 adult focused episodes and the kid focused episodes. I think there were there tended to be more kid focused episodes. Well, they outnumber them. <laughs> That's true, but there were still some that were definitely focused on the adults. Similar style in terms of comedy, but the kids were not were were, were not significant parts of the story. One of the one of the early ones that we watched was a Mike Brady's horror scope. Oh yes. And uh and this is another one, a very newspaper centric culture they were in. Mike and, and Carol are reading the newspaper and Carol is checking the horoscopes. And Mike's horoscope says that a mysterious woman is going to enter his life. And they joke about that and she jokes about being jealous and all this. And the next day, BB Galini comes into his office. Oh goodness, that character. The the the, the founder and president of, of, of Galini Cosmetics or BB. Everyone knows BB. And she wants him and his architecture firm to design a new factory for BB. And she is like this exaggerated European jet setter kind of uh of character. The kind of thing you would expect yeah Ava Gabor to be playing if they could get Ava Gabor. And uh, she she calls him Dalink. Yeah. And, of course, the hilarity ensues because he has to... This is a big, important account for the architecture firm he works on. So he winds... And BB is a very demanding client. So he winds up working all hours. And Carol gets, you know, jealous of his time. Never really starts to believe anything untoward is going on. But it still makes her uncomfortable and makes him uncomfortable having to spend all this time with this strange woman who's not a very easy person to work with. But it was it was it was a funny story, partly because so many fun lines and scenes, especially with Bibi. But it wasn't something that really relied on the concept of the blended family and the kids and all that. The kids were there to to sometimes make a comment that was a everyone's thinking it, but the kids don't know enough not to say it kind of thing. Right. And in some ways, continue to insinuate that they are there and doing these things so that when they become important to the story, it is not out of nowhere. The fact that they have been running around playing in the background scene after scene means when that is the method in which the story resolves itself at the end, 
it does not feel forced because it was already foreshadowed in that sense. Right. And to some extent, they also become props in service of that story that how we we need to demonstrate the fact that Mike is spending too much time with, with BB. He can't take the kids on the promised fishing trip. So they're kind of there in order to make that point. But it's a that um that description seems kind of anemic, but it is a fun episode just because there are fun performances and a lot of a lot of fun lines in there. Oh yeah. I, I feel like so much of the Brady Bunch could be summarized very compactly. Episodes could be reduced down in outline form very, very small. But it's all of the the interactions in between that fill in. The the episode we referenced where it was a, uh, a fender bender and they wind up going to small claims court in so many other shows, I'd expect that to be drawn out. I'd expect to see one or two repetitions for the sake of comedy, because, you know, that rule of three is you want to pull these interactions in multiple times. And I would see this escalation across these events in order to to pull this comedy out of there. The, the the simple premise of that thing is Bender Bender at the grocery store parking lot, disagreement as to whose fault it's at. The kids are worried they ha- they're going to have to, that their mom's going to court for this. Brady's point out that the guy's lying. Win the case, don't pay money. That's, that's not very, that's not a very long summary and I've summarized the entire episode there. Spoiler alert, I apologize. <laughs> but it's all of the the worry about that and the thinking about that and the groups assessing what's going on and seeing how they all interact with it. That is what fills out the entirety of the episode. Instead of taking the concept and churning the comedy out of that, this is taking the the relatability and churning the the self-generating comedy out of it right it really was that's as you say that's not a very complex or deep story and yet for a half an hour sitcom and for kind of the level of stakes it really was a a, a satisfying story with a, big, a beginning middle and end conflicts things you were, were concerned about it you mentioned the kids Testifying at one point, the two youngest kids are t- are are, are a- they they start asking, are they going to have to be witnesses in court because they don't really remember seeing mom look back before she started pulling out. But I have to tell the truth. But if I tell the truth that I didn't see mom look uh, behind her before she pulled out, then mom's going to lose her case and go to jail. And it's like, oh, I'm worried for these kids. That's a terrible position to be in. No. That is, I, I oh, oh, I'm almost running into our final answers with the way I wanted to respond to that. So, it, it that episode was also fun just because they were the the guy they they were fighting in small claims court was actually Uncle Fester. That's right. Another one of our um our IWMP uh, crossovers from '70s TV is Jackie Coogan. Here he was not bald, not completely bald, uh, and did he did not uh, wear a shapeless black robe. Did have a mustache. Yeah, the mustache did quite the difference. I, I didn't recognize him for a little while there. 
So was the voice. Putting on the Uncle Fester character, he raised his voice uh, to a higher register and it squeaked a bit, and he was more just his natural voice in this, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely still a good actor. Very good actors all around. Definitely a well-cast show. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, these were not breathtaking theatrical performances, but everybody was at about the same level, and it was all very believable. So, yeah, I thought the performances were all, uh, 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 they all functioned perfectly. And, uh, one of the later, trying to think of some of the later episodes we watched, we did jump around a bit. It was kind of a, oh, I remember a scene from this one. And then going to watch that one, even if it wasn't chronological, the fact that when we'd look through the list, there'd be this, oh yeah. And then we watched that one was very fun. And this is where your mom, Mrs. Darling Wife, was a big help, because she remembered this show even better than I, and she was able to point out, oh, you've got to make sure you watch such and such an episode, because that is, has a, an iconic moment, or a great scene, or a guest star, or something. One thing we didn't really see much of in the episodes that we watched was the fact that this had used a fair amount of stunt casting for its time, in that there'd be a, a, a famous sports figure who shows up in uh, in the, the Brady Bunch world. I think Joe Namath from the New York Jets is a, a guest star in uh, one of the later uh, episodes. That was a, a big deal to, one of, to my brothers when it was originally aired. One of the other things we didn't touch on was we didn't watch any of the three Brady family vacations, a kind of three-episode mini-movies that each of those were, because those are one of those things I'd heard of as separate bits almost as a different media piece than the original Brady Bunch. And those those sound interesting, because those might break some of the immersion and interaction I was seeing in the show. That's a really good point. And this, again, I, we, we decided to watch this spontaneously, so we were limited to what was available on Amazon Prime. And for some reason, we mentioned that that, that first uh, episode, the pilot, which I think was two hours, was not included. Or it might have been a full hour instead of a half hour. The end of the first episode of some, of some of the other seasons, which were the first episode of a multi-part, really, as you say, kind of a movie. Uh, there was their trip to the Grand Canyon, and there was their trip to Hawaii. And we weren't able to watch those because the streaming service did not have those first episodes. So we actually might have to return to that at some point. But... Um, but yeah, those I remember those as being good and when I was a kid, compelling television, but they weren't typical of the Brady Bunch as a sitcom. So we and we watched more episodes than this and we could take the time to recap them all, but in some ways that would be repetitive because we would as as you did for for one of them Ian, we could lay out the basic story and it would seem like nothing because it was seeing it play out with these characters that made it an interesting 20 or so minutes of, of TV. And definitely, I think it's something where, because if you were to watch them in order, you'd get that kind of the kids growing up and there is this this relatable low stakes nature to some of the stuff they're dealing with. It, there's a little bit of bleed from one episode to another. In some ways, I don't have a clear idea of I remember this episode and that episode. I'm remembering more the pe- the characters, and they dealt with things, but those are days to them, not episodes. And so that means that it feels more 
continuous. I the it started to blur for me already, and I'm. That's interesting to to note because that means I don't want to summarize an episode because no, no, the character then goes on to do other stuff. There's more. It's not just this one thing that ends. It's it's a whole continuation. Yeah, it's not you know. Here's a story. It's oh, remember when that thing happened to our friends? Mm-hmm. So only the only only other episode then I'll mention specifically because the holidays are coming up. The Christmas episode from the first season is fun and sweet, and I remember that so distinctly from when I was a kid. Oh, that one is very very sweet. <laughs> yep. Oh, she asks the mo- she asks Santa for her mom's voice back from laryngitis. Aww. It's adorable. So, I don't know. I think people might be getting uh, some um, inkling as to how we feel about the Brady Bunch. I think so. So, I think it's time to ask our final questions. Okay. First question for TV show is binge or no binge? I'm going to say binge. Binge. You can binge popcorn kind of episode to episode like we did. You could binge in order and follow the, the time progression of the family as it goes. I see, think either one works, but see, you see the evolution of the Brady perm for <laughs> for Greg and Mike. It had to end after five seasons because no, they they just simply could not curl Mike's hair anymore. Exactly, it would, it, it would start collapsing in on itself. And there's a whole cottage industry of behind the scenes books and things about the Brady Bunch. I've never read or watched any of them. Don't care about them very much. But my hope is that you know the the people involved enjoyed the process and that it was, was a good experience because, you know, it went on for five or six years. Oh yeah. But the, the second question is the what? tricky one here. And I'm just, I'm oh. going to agree with you about the, the binge. Oh. It, it's fun to watch unless you are, unless something in our description just made it seem like absolutely not the thing for you. Give it a try. It's not the kind of thing where there's a, a, a gripping story episode to episode. So you've got to watch the entire thing in a weekend. But it is very good for that kind of comfort viewing we've mentioned before, the way we treat Columbo or uh, Thunderbirds. You know, it's it's late. I'm tired. I'm not quite ready to go to sleep yet. I'm going to watch 20 minutes of uh, of the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I mean, if you if it's, you want, the, it, it's fun. It's simple. It's it's comforting. If you want the harshest tonal whiplash you could ever give yourself on a screen, it's watch like two episodes of the Brady Bunch and then a Bond film. Because <laughs> those are very different things, but they're both great. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I think we we can both recommend binging uh, the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I'm surprised to say that I remember liking it in a certain way when I was a kid, and coming back to it, I fully expected it to be boring and hokey and uninteresting, and I expected to to react to it as gosh, I, I liked this probably because TV was terrible at the time, but I wouldn't waste my time with it anymore. Now that I've watched some of it for the first time in decades, I'm thinking, yeah, this was fun. TV can be fun. I was nervous about it being another sitcom, and I was nervous in that same way of this is going to be very dated, and there's some very dated parts of this. There are some very dated parts of this. Yeah. That's, yeah. There there are things where the, the humor comes from well, there are a few things. There's sexism. It's early 70s. Yeah. As far as the sexism goes, sometimes it seems to me they're drawing humor from the sexism 
because it's presented this is a ridiculous position and yet it is still prevalent it's ridiculous to say that women are inherently worse drivers than men and yet there are some people who still think so isn't that funny so in some ways it, it was an anti-sexist point in the way they were finding humor in the fact that some of the characters were sexist oh yeah it it it, it was much more it was much more progressive in some of those things than i was even expecting it to be the fact that it was tying certain things like that together is always a little awkward, but to deny that that was part of how it was responding to the time and deny it is not going to help anything. So I would rather just say, oh, and be like, okay, this is, this is from when it is, but I can also appreciate the fact that it was looking forward to not being from when it is in that sense, which yeah, is nice. It's a, it's a, I Again, I think I follow you there. I was looking forward to not being from when it... Yeah. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> that, that, that makes sense. Thank you. And there are other things like you know, Mike solves a mystery, and Carol says, you know, you're a regular Charlie Chan. I'm thinking, okay, you know, that's kind of cool. I mean, Char putting aside some of the portrayals in movies and things, Charlie Chan was a brilliant fictional detective who solved crimes. Great. When Mike then goes into... A, you know, an ethnic dialect parody in responding, yeah, no, thank you. I understand that you did that in the 70s, but it's kind of uncomfortable. Don't do that. It's not funny. Yeah, I know. That was not good. Yeah. But, and that's another thing, like, I, okay, that's part of what was in this show, and I, I rolled with that. Yeah. But. Saying you're a, you're a regular Charlie Chan as easily as you'd say Sherlock Holmes, cool. You know, putting on an accent, not cool. A fa Every once in a while, you'll have a family member that does a j that makes a joke that you're not as fond of, and that was the same sort of thing. It's going to be like, <laughs> okay, you you know, not everyone's humor is your humor, and I will acknowledge that one and move on. <laughs> so at times, Mike is kind of the the relative you have to deal with at Thanksgiving, even though you don't Ex like all their sense of humor. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, we're both saying binge those kinds of things, notwithstanding. It's it's our second question. So the next question is, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? <sighs> and this one is, is another one of those that is complicated by the fact that some of this has kind of sort of been done. Yeah, I, this one's really tricky to say on that. I, <clears throat> I want to hear what your opinion is on that first. Well, I, I'm going to say rest in peace because the world has changed, the world has moved on. The I think that the Brady Bunch concept, to the extent it was a high concept show, has been mined quite thoroughly. There's no need for more of the Brady Bunch. You wouldn't be able to redo it with the same cast in the same way, and I don't see any kind of point in doing that. And the Brady Bunch was sufficiently popular that it didn't end when the season when when the series was canceled after the fifth season. A couple of years after that, I think it was a couple of years, there was a short-lived show, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. What? It was a variety show, and those were popular in the seventies. They'd have comedy bits and singers and and performers. It was a variety show hosted by the Brady Bunch, and I think there'd always be like a musical number featuring the Brady Bunch. At some point, 
in, in each episode, then they'd have other performers as guests. So yeah, there was the Brady Bunch variety hour. Uh, you listeners can't hear my eyebrow slowly rising <laughs> centimeter by centimeter in bewilderment at the fact that this evolved in such an unexpected way. And I don't remember anything about it except what I've just described and the general fact that, yeah, I think I watched that at some point. That's all I remember. The Brady Bunch is evolving. Dun, 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 It evolved into a, wait, what? And then, of course, there have been a couple of relatively recent movies, but they were, again, I haven't seen them, but my understanding is that they're pure parody. The Brady Bunch movie, and there was another, like, a Brady sequel. Oh, that's, that's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, that's, I think that's more of a response to the, the, uh, the position that the show as a thing has in the culture than it is a response to the show itself. But, so we, so we have to acknowledge the fact that in some ways there were reboots or revivals. But putting those aside, I, I would say rest in peace by all means, go back and watch what it was, but don't try to reboot it. Don't try to bring it back. What do you think, Ian? I'm going to have to agree with you. I think it's a rest in peace. I feel like the the spectacle creep of TV means that the the pace and the initial concept would not be able to stay the way it is for as long as it would have to be to have the same effect. A modern interpretation would have to bring a a a bigger ticking clock in. It would have to have some more drama between the family members about integrating together into a group across the first few seasons or the entire series. It would have to raise the stakes in order to stay competitive with the other things on the market right now that wouldn't do justice to what the show did so well in the first place. And I don't know if that means it should wait for things to relax in such a way that it can do that same thing well again if most of the original is still as good as it is, context aside. It's still so approachable and so relatable because the distance between here and then is not as far in terms of some of those interactions as it seems so there'd have to be a lot larger changes to how you interact with other people and then it would have to be enough of a cool down before another Brady Bunch would work on a a deeper concept level so by the time that happens is it even the Brady Bunch again right and we've talked sometimes about revivals under other names and generally, that is about the the influence that something has had. Since the Brady Bunch went off the air, there have been plenty of formulaic, family, or centered sitcoms. None of them have ever quite captured the Brady Bunch. They've, there's been too much of a trend towards, it's got to be an extreme characterization, there's got to be the catchphrase, these other marketable things. And the Brady Bunch... To the extent it had any of those, and I'm not sure it did, to the extent it had any of those, they were just kind of accidental, natural outgrowths of the show. So I don't even think you could say that the Brady Bunch has been rebooted and revived under other names. It's had a lot of influence, but nothing has ever 
recaptured that, and I don't think anything has ever really tried to recapture what it did. The closest I could think, and it sounds like maybe these, the movies it sounds like you were describing were attempting to beat the Brady Bunch again. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, my understanding, it's kind of parody by showing the Bradys in the modern world and how, showing that, that, showing that disconnect. And that doesn't help. You'd have to go for something more like um, a Brady's The Next Generation if now, you were to do anything later, and that would not be the same show. It would be great. It might be able to capture a little something, but... Mm, you know, that's interesting. That that could have been interesting, because, you know, these six kids are going to grow up, and some of them are going to have kids of their own, and... Mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I mean, if you were going to re, uh, revive the Brady Bunch, that would have been the way to do it. But yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening, and I don't think we're we've lost anything by it not having happened. Yeah, if it is a, a fine show, I'd say you know go. We we said binge, go see it because you can kind of imagine maybe a trajectory for the family from there out, but. You get to spend this time with them. You get to spend those five seasons of time with these friends of the Bradys in that sense. And that is still functional as what it was, and it doesn't need that reboot. And in terms of the influence of the Brady Bunch on the rest of of TV and and later on in the culture, I mean, um, there is the Cousin Oliver Syndrome. And we didn't even get to Cousin Oliver in our watching of The Brady Bunch. Oh, I've heard about this, though. <laughs> so maybe we will have to come back to that at some point. Oh, I'd, I'd at least very much like to see one of their family vacations at some point, to see how different it is. But in the meantime, I think that's going to be all for this episode of the IWMP podcast. As always, thanks very much for, for downloading and for listening. We're, uh, we're really glad you're here. And we'll be back, of course, with uh, with more. And in the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting, as well as on YouTube as ItemCrafting, and on Twitch as ItemCraftingLive. That's a admirable consistency. I like that. Thank you. You can find me uh, on Twitter at ByMatthewPorter, and you can find me online at uh, MatthewFPorter.com, and there you'll find links to Twitter and other things online. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at IMMPcast, and you can find us on our website, uh, www.immproject.com, and there you can find all of our old episodes, you can find a link to our, our Discord, and you can find uh, information about supporting us on Patreon, and all kinds of other fun things there at immproject.com. And we'd love to see a review from you on any of the sites or any of the services you use to obtain find podcasts like this one, or even if there's just a show you can't believe you used to watch or loved watching alongside us, you know, go find a friend and watch it with them because we'd love to, to hear from them as well. Absolutely. So again, uh, thanks everybody. And we will be back in the meantime, go find something new to watch.